Good morning again, church. And, um, you know, I appreciate what Mike had to say in leading us around the Lord's Supper table this morning. And um, that reminds me that uh, tomorrow night is our regular weekly Celebrate Recovery meeting. We meet at 6. We serve dinner at 5.30. And um, sometimes I'm asked by folks, is, is that just for, uh, you know, people with alcohol or drug problems? It is for people with alcohol and drug problems, but not just. Uh, whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever hurt, habit, hang-up, whatever circumstance in life, Celebrate Recovery is for uh, anyone who wants it, and you are invited. And in the, I, it got me thinking that in the midst of all of this, uh, I don't intend for it in any way to replace or take the place of your church family, but some, you might want an extra you know, boost of encouragement. You might want an extra opportunity to find a safe place to share with others what you're going through. We would certainly welcome you there. And um, so that starts at 6 tomorrow. We'll serve dinner at at 5. It's right over here in the gym. Uh, I'm actually going to be teaching the lesson tomorrow night. Now, it's not a topical lesson. I'm following the material, but it's really good material. And, um, And, yeah, I don't know, maybe I ought to be doing it on Sunday morning. It might improve everything that I'm doing. So, But anyway, I just wanted you to know that you are... Welcome for whatever, or it might be uh, a way to you know when we reach out to make amends or to you know I love what Mike said this morning, reminding us of the biblical lesson, the lesson from Jesus that if there's anybody that we're carrying a a burden around and we need to make it right with them, it's easy to say and it's easy to think about, and we certainly need to be encouraged to do it. And I'm sure Mike would agree that what you have to do sometimes is you have to have other people help you do that. You have to have other people come in around you, not to fix you and not to solve it for you, but to give you encouragement. And that's what we do. So um, whether we do that in the church or celebrate recovery, it's all the same. It's all God's people. I wanted to continue these comments on flood response, but here I want to focus less on the information that we've all given out, and I want to focus more on the, the other vital part of this, which is the spiritual part of this. Uh, because there is a response to everything that happens to us in the world uh, from God's Word. The word I want to share with you this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2. Paul the Apostle is writing to the Philippians and he says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life then. On the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. There's... there's Three things that I think we can take from this this morning. First of all, he mentions work. He says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Sometimes it says, uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, That doesn't mean that it's up to us to figure out our salvation or to solve it. You know, I always hated it when I had uh, math lessons in school and I would just, you know, write the answers down to to the question. And then I'd get an F after all my work, and I would say, why am I getting an F? Because you didn't show your work. 
Like, what does it matter? I got the same answer. You know, what do I have to show my work? Because I need to see that you, you know how you're getting there. And I said, I'm in the same place. Does it really matter? And uh, I guess maybe that's when they decided that I should go into preaching or law. But, uh, <laughs> but you, you, showing your work does matter. It, it's important. But showing your work in salvation is not a matter of you achieving your own salvation. You've been given that saving grace Now, how is that going to look in your life as you live it out? That's what it means to work out your salvation. It's as simple as being obedient. Notice that that's right there in the text. Uh, Work to show the results of your salvation. How? By obeying God with deep reverence and fear. It's God working in us. We rely on his power. One of the quickest paths to burnout in this crisis or in any sort of event where it's going to call upon us to do something, is for us to go into this geared up with only our own resources, our own abilities, our own compassion even. If we do that, we will reach a limit. I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, a fellow named John Knox, who's just fantastic at, uh, at disaster response. He, I call him the guru of critical incident response in Churches of Christ. And uh, he's, he's a police chaplain in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And he told me some stories of how they handled the, uh, uh, the, the crisis after tornadoes in his area. And then he mentioned to me, he said, one of the things you've got to watch out for is what we're calling compassion fatigue. It's not burnout. It's different than burnout. But compassion fatigue is where just like you can help people and your muscles are going to wear out, and your, uh, you know, your joints are going to wear out, you're going to get exhausted, your ability to feel compassion can get worn out too. And on top of the compassion that you're being asked to feel for your neighbors and your friends, if you're trying to stay in touch with the news, then all of a sudden you, you suddenly have to have more compassion for the entire world. And if we rely only on our own ability to drum up enough compassion to really feel it, And then especially if we start getting in a contest with one another. I feel more about this than you do. No, I have more compassion than you do. We may not even realize we're getting into that. We will always reach a limit. Notice that what Paul says here to the Philippians and to us is he says it's God working in you. He gives you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I'm excited about anyone who says, you know, I see all the problem out there. I just, don't, I just don't know yet. I don't know. I don't feel it yet. Good. Because you might be ready and open to God giving you the desire and giving you the power that he could, if you will be obedient, if you will simply trust in him, he could lead you into ways where you can help others. Not for your own glory, not for your own satisfaction, but for his. You know, in all of these things, I think the lesson for us is please God. We know, and it's a sad reality, that despite all the efforts to do good, despite all the efforts to, um, to help people out, there's going to be people who will be grumbling and complaining. It might even be us. <laughs> but uh, whoever it is, and if it's, if it's not you, if it is you, we'll come to that in just a moment. But if it's somebody else... And if your, if your first response is going to be, oh, I need to do more to please them, watch out. Because you could 
You know, we just, listen, we just discovered a black hole in outer space. There have been black holes on earth for a long time. They are emotional black holes of neediness, and you can never pour enough compassion into it. Watch out. The best way to overcome that is to make it your goal, first and last, to please God. And if you please God, then, then he will put you where he needs you, and you will please other people, no matter how they feel about it, no matter what they say about it. Jesus had a, uh, a little verse, a little word to the people of his day. He said, what am I going to do with this generation? He said, here comes John the Baptist. And he says, he, he looks strange. Now, this, this is, you're going to ask me what translation I'm reading from. This is called Benjamin's paraphrase, okay? Here's John the Baptist, and he shows up, and, you know, he's got on a fur coat, and he's got cricket legs hanging in his beard and everything, and he's been eating wild honey, and he just looks a little crazy and worn out. And he's preaching hellfire and brimstone, and you say, he's got a demon. And then here comes Jesus. Here comes the Son of Man. He's dressed all right. He's got his beard trimmed, and, uh, and he's, he's going to weddings, and he's, he's going to, to feasts. And you say, well, he's a glutton and a drunkard. It's the first century Bible version of you just can't please everybody. But what Jesus says in addition to that is, he says, you are like the children in the marketplace, you know, crying out that you're not satisfied, you're not happy. Uh, We played the flute, you did not dance. We had a funeral, you did not mourn. Jesus' path is not to say just write them off, but he says, please God first, be obedient. That's how Jesus led his life, and that's the mind and attitude that we follow. Make it your goal, first and last, always to please God. You'll find that it's so much easier if you'll do that. Second thing that this verse from Philippians uh, encourages us with is that times like this, and actually every time, but it, it shows up now, is a time to shine. For the last three years, we've been doing the night to shine in, in uh Uh, in partnership with the Tim Tebow Foundation. Well, behind the night to shine is the idea that we don't just shine for one night, but we have the opportunity to shine all the time. And the contrast here is that we shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It is so easy. How quickly can a few of us get together and very quickly talk about all the problems in the world? Have you seen what the group out here is saying? Have you seen what the group out here is saying? They say this on the news. And we can start talking very quickly uh, about everything that's wrong. And we may need to do that sometimes. I don't know. But as much as we do that, it's much better that we shine in the midst of all that darkness. That That we not just shine, but we represent a different way of doing things. This morning in our class, we were talking about miracles. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to reduce miracles and the power of miracles, but I'll tell you what would be miraculous or at least would grab just as much attention as a miracle would. A group of people who are so sold out to God and so faithful in God that nothing troubles them, nothing worries them, that they keep on being obedient even in the midst of bad times, that they have faith and trust and they have goodwill and kindness towards others. And people would look at that like it's some sort of uh, unicorn. And they would be amazed 
that people can feel that way and be that way. And for some of you, you are that shining light in the environment that you're in. This is where we need the encouragement and support of one another. Because it may be that where you're at, it's very tough to remain the positive person. If it's tough to remain the positive person, then you go ahead and be the obedient person. Doesn't mean that you have to put up a front. Doesn't mean you have to uh, shame anyone or fix anyone. You just be the obedient servant of God right there. Who knows? God may be using you and your attitude to tell a very different story to others. One that they can't even fathom. The message here in Philippians is, what does your attitude, what story does your attitude tell? If we are the people of God and our story uh, with our attitude says that we have every reason to be afraid, that this is doom and gloom, then what story is that telling? That's telling people the story that our God really can't help us, that God's only there when good things are going on, that God is only there for us when everything goes our way. I was calling and checking on people this week and... um, Lou Winchell's daughter, Tracy, I called them to see how they are, and I just called to say hello, and she turned it into a podcast. Um, it's out there. But one of my favorite moments from the podcast is she's asking, you know, well, we feel safe and we feel unsettled, and what do leaders have to do in times like this? And I said, leaders have to, uh, leaders, whoever they are, influencers are people who are going to be, they're going to be, it's not that they won't be concerned, they'll be concerned, but they'll have trust and they'll have confidence. And for some reason, I thought of all those characters in Star Wars, okay? Here's your Star Wars analogy. There's a good reason why C-3PO, you know, he's the, he's the gold robot, right? There's a good reason he's not a leader. It's because all he can ever say is, we're doomed, we're doomed. Yeah. And sometimes when we have people like that among us who want to be the leaders and they say, we're doomed. I go into my hand solo bit and I say, hey, Chewie, take the professor in the back and hook him into the hyperdrive. I won't want that person around. Taylor, if I didn't get that quote right, you can correct me later. So, uh, But a leader is going to be someone who doesn't lose their head. Now, now, you can be that person. You don't have to take charge. You just have to be the person who says, I think we can trust in God. And then live it and act it and have that attitude. Well, we love this verse in Philippians because, it, boy, it takes the grumblers and the complainers to task. And we have sort of a cartoon version of grumblers and complainers. You know, they become the, they become the, uh, the grumpy old people. It's always old people. Young people are grumpy too. Uh, oh, they can be terrible, okay? People of all ages can be grumpy. But sometimes this, this grumbling, this groaning, this complaining... It shows up as second-guessing and naysaying. Because when our doubt and our cynicism kicks in, and we can see everything that's wrong, but we can't realize that maybe there's something that would be right, that doesn't help anyone. When second-guessing and naysaying actually helps us, we'll let you know. Okay? And then we will use that gift for the good of the kingdom. I'm not talking about questioning. I'm not talking about rethinking. I'm talking about the kind of people who can always find something bad in something. If that helps us, we'll let you know. I got a hint for you. It doesn't help. Leave it aside. It's much better to shine. I want to read again what what Paul says here. Do everything. Do. He says do. He doesn't say sit down and shut up. He says do. 
Get active. Go do stuff. Do it. Do it without complaining and arguing. Why? So that no one can criticize you. Your attitude will tell the story. Do you have an attitude of trust in God? Do you have an attitude of faith in God? And let me tell you, um, I'm not saying this is easy. I have a cynical nature that I have to hold, I have to have others who hold me accountable. And, and we can do that with one another. Sometimes we just need a place where we can tell someone who can take it. We need to say, okay, look, you know, I'm just burned out. I'm having compassion fatigue. This is what's going on with me. I'm just angry at this. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I hear you. You know what? Get back to work. Sometimes I think the spiritual response that we need from one another is the spiritual version of rub some dirt in it. I mean, you know, it's like, oh, I'm playing football, and they hit me, and it hurt. Okay, first of all, you don't need to go out for the football team. Uh, second of all, sometimes it's just, hey, rub some dirt in it, get back up. You're going to be okay. And God's going to give us whatever victory he chooses to give us, even if that victory looks like a loss. We aren't in this for our glory, and that's something we need to remember and I think one of the tricks that Satan has used on the church is to make us think that we have to, or to make us think that it's okay to get glory for the church, but not us. Well, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for the church. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for our church. I'm doing this so that our church gets recognized. I'm not doing it for me. That's theologically incorrect. You understand, right? Who is the church? We are the church. I learned this lesson in Lake Jackson. We had some neighbors that were, uh, they lost their house to a fire. And I saw it as the opportunity for us to give them a gift since we were their neighbors. And it would be good. I, I admit, I, I, it was in the back of my mind. It's the right thing to do, but if we get a little bit of good PR out of it at the same time, let's do it. One of our other church neighbors came over and he said, uh, hey, we've got a check here. We want to give it to this family and, uh, you know, we just wanted to see what you were doing. And I said, well, that's fine and good, but we've kind of got this covered, so don't worry about it. He said, I don't care what your church is doing or what my church is doing. I just want to give a gift in the name of Christ. And I thought, wait a second. I'm supposed to be right and you're supposed to be wrong. How dare you come over here and say the right things? I was humbled. I repented, and I learned a lesson from that ever since. Let everything that we do be in the name of Christ. Let him get the glory. And when he gets the glory, you know what? We'll, we'll, all we want to hear is him say, well done. Well done, good servant. Well done. We don't need it from anybody else. We're not going to get all the glory in this world, and why do we want it anyway? We want God's glory, not the artificial glory that comes from this world. Finally, he says, hold firmly. Uh, that's important to remember right now. Hold firmly to the word of life. He says, then on the day of Christ's return, I'll be proud that I did not run the race in vain and my work was not useless. We need to work on our long game. We're so used to quick fixes and instant solutions that we don't understand that a lot of what we're doing in life is the long game. It's just something we need to remember and we need to remind each other. You know, one thing about this disaster that we're learning is, is that the relief doesn't come quickly. And it looks like a lot of the suffering that's going to be had here. Now, for those who've got water in their house, I mean, they're feeling it right now. Some of us who don't have water in our house, we're, we're not feeling it right now. But when the economic impact of this continues, we might start feeling it then. I, I really appreciate our brothers and sisters around the... Um, around the United States, who've called in 
And I especially appreciate, because they've offered to help. A lot of them have offered to help in so many different ways. And we're managing that right now, too. But the most encouraging phone calls I've had are from others who've been where we've been, especially with flooding. And they've said, listen, set your expectations right. This is not a matter that gets solved in days, certainly not. Not even a matter that gets solved in weeks. Months, yeah, maybe even a year. Okay, now that's everything. And that's not to make us despair. That's not to make us worry. That's not to make us, again, if we worry, then we start grumbling and complaining. Trust in the one who's got this. We have to hold firmly. And remember, this is a long game. Now that applies to the flood, but that applies to everything else that we're doing in life too. Sometimes we live, mom- we live so momentary that we don't realize that there's a bigger agenda when it comes to the church. That if everything in the church right now is not A-OK, then we failed, we failed, we failed. Let God write the story. Let him finish the story. He's not done yet. I mean, if, you know, if you walked out of the first Avengers movie and you thought that was it, it's like, oh, that's it, they lost, everybody's dead. Oh, well, guess we're not getting a Spider-Man movie. Well, guess what? We are. You have to keep watching. The story's not finished yet. They say that they've got counseling now for people who are sad that Game of Thrones ended. It's a, it's a ploy, but let me tell you, if... Um, if you need counseling that Game of Thrones ended, you need counseling, but not for that. Uh, <laughs> you got to play the long game. And we need to know what the end game is. The end game is not just to make it to tomorrow. Philippians 2 brings us into eternity. Notice that right in the midst of this, is he's saying, do your work. Be obedient right now, right this moment. Work out your salvation. Shine today. And he says, but then hold on firmly for the day that Christ returns. He's always got that end in mind. That the day that Christ returns is when all of this comes together. And Paul also says, you make us proud. He says, I'll be proud. Now, you think, wait a second, isn't pride a bad thing? Yes. If pride is our attempt to outdo others, to be better than others, if pride is our attempt to get attention, to get self-affirmation or affirmation from others, then yes, it can be a bad thing. If pride is our arrogance that causes us to think that we know more than others or we know more than God. But if our pride is in God, if he is our, at the way we use the term pride and joy, it's a little more positive the way we use it in that context. Then Paul says, I am going to be satisfied. I am going to know that when Christ returns that everything I did produced a harvest. It's just his way of speaking to them as a father speaks to his children and say, you're going to make me proud. I'm going to tell you, this week, while you're out there working with the world changers or doing whatever you're doing, or you're going to work, or you're helping somebody out, if you ever need that encouragement that comes from being a part of the body of Christ, just remember, you know what? I'm going to make, I'm going to make my brothers and sisters proud, which simply means we're not going to do anything to make them ashamed, all right? So we're, we're going to, but we're, and the best way to do that is to have the end game in mind. There's a story that's told um, 
from the, from the 1800s about one of the state legislatures, and, and they were in session, and, and an eclipse happened. Of course, everybody thinks it's the end of the world. People start scrambling. They start running. Oh, no, it's the end of the world. And right there in this, uh, in this legislative body, one of the speakers stands up and he says, let lamps be lit and candles be brought in. Because if this is the end of the world, we can't do anything to stop it. Uh, if it's not the end of the world, then we're fine. And if it is the end of the world, then I'd like to be found doing my duty. That's a good sentiment. That's a good idea. And I think that if we keep these things in mind, we will hold firmly, and that's where we will receive the encouragement to sustain. So with the power of God, the attitude, the mind of Christ that allows us to shine, and with the focus on the end game, then then what do we have to worry about, gang? What do we have to worry about? We We can do a lot for him in his name. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you will... Help us to take this word to heart, and uh, Father, I pray that we will live it out, not just as individuals, but that we will live it out as a community of believers. I pray that you would encourage everyone here. Father, uh, teach us to open our hearts to you and to be obedient, to trust in you, to know that it is not our task or our agenda today to please anyone or even to please ourselves, but it is first and last our task to please you, and that if we'll keep focused on that, that you will give us the power and the desire to work out our salvation, and in doing so, we will shine and help us to do everything with the end goal, the ultimate end goal of not just completing these tasks, but of making you proud on the day that Christ returns. We ask this in Jesus' name. Church, if there's anyone this morning that needs some encouragement, if, uh, if there's any way that we can assist you this morning, There'll be shepherds and elders here. There'll be shepherds in room 100. Uh, You know, I'll tell you, all of this assumes that, you know, if you're going to to have that end game in mind where Christ comes back, what's your first step? Have you been baptized into Christ? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Uh, I don't give you the invitation to be baptized. Christ invites you to be baptized into his life, to be baptized and submerged into his life. And you can turn and give your life to him. If, if there's any way that we can do, anything that we can do to help you with that, this is a good opportunity to do that. Let's stand. Let's sing together.